we're back. This is the OMN Alumni Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us for episode four. Let's dive right into it. Our guest today is a former KBVR FM station manager, and he is now a political reporter with Delaware Public Radio as part of Report for America. It's Roman Battaglia. Roman, how are you doing? Hello, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. It's so great to hear from you again. It's been a while. Uh, how are things in Dover? Well, Dover is really exciting right now. It's it's the last month of legislative session, so it's probably the time when I'm at my busiest. Um, a lot of things to report on, a lot of bills trying to get through, and just in general, a lot of stuff happening. There's a lot of electricity in the air, so it's very exciting right now, um, but... We're heading into the slower part of the year, obviously, after this. Yeah, kind of that last rush before the end of the legislative session. Uh, I've been following your stories and uh, following your work on social media, and there's a ton that's going on in Delaware right now with the state lawmakers uh, as they're pushing those bills through before the end of the session. What are some of the, the important stories that are coming out of that session right now, or what are some of the topics that are kind of front and center for uh, folks in Delaware at the moment? Ooh, a, a lot of the important bills are obviously, you know, related to things that affect people's lives, really, I would say. And that's always really the biggest things in politics. Um, one thing that happened last week that I was reporting on is the lawmakers passed uh, an increase to the minimum wage to $15 an hour over the next couple of years. And um, those kind of bills are the ones that bring a lot of, you know, controversy behind them. There were like a ton of amendments that were filed by Republicans trying to basically obstruct the passage of the bill or hinder its ability to, you know, bring people's wages up and stuff. And so there's always a lot of controversy surrounding those. Um, a, a lot of things have kind of happened in Delaware this year because um, the last election, there was a lot of upsets in our primary. Um, Delaware, for people who don't know, is a really democratic state. Um, we only we have only only have three counties in the state, and the only one that's Republican is the Southern County. So, um, pretty much the entire state is Democrat, and so a lot of people can just run in their primary and then win the election once it gets to the general election. Um, and so we saw a lot of people who were running in their primary got beat by a more progressive opponent. Um, there was one case where there was a Democrat in running in a district against the first openly gay uh, candidate for the House of Representatives in the state. Um, and the incumbent had actually expressed, um, you know, homophobic sentiments in the past. And so the openly gay candidate ended up winning the primary, ended up beating this um, incumbent candidate who had been in office for like 20 years or something. Um, big upsets. Um, so the legislature is a lot more progressive, and that means that they're pushing a lot of things this year. So whether that's uh, gun control bills, uh, they're seeking recreational marijuana legalization in the state, um, some voting rights stuff as well, although a specific really important voting rights bill ended up failing in our legislature because Republicans still control a part of the legislature. And so when they need to pass big bills, they still need support from the other side. And so we're seeing a lot of like those sorts of bills that are affecting, you know, people on the ground and actually having an effect on their lives. And I think those are the ones that always pick up a lot of attention, especially the ones that I report on. Yeah, I find that really interesting. You know, you mentioned that uh, Delaware is a, a, a very democratic state, uh, but you've only got the three counties in Delaware. Do you find that it requires lawmakers 
to have to work together more because there's only three counties and a limited number of representatives? Or does it feel like uh, because it, it leans very progressive that those policies are able to move forward a little bit faster? That's that's interesting. I, I would say that collaboration is really important in the legislature from what I've seen because there are around 40 representatives and only like 20 something senators. So there's really not a lot of votes that you have in your specific house that you work at. Um, so if you're trying to get bills passed, you really do need a lot of support. Um, and also just because we have a Republican heavy Southern County doesn't mean that there isn't Democratic representatives and senators there, same as in our Northern parts. So we have kind of a, um, it's a, it's a gradient of different political parties in the different counties. And so often you see them working together to get things done in the Southern part of the state, which is a lot more rural and focuses on, you know, agriculture and um, Delaware has a big chicken industry. So they do a lot of things around that and uh, you kind of need the support of those Southern uh, representatives in order to get some of the big things you need passed in the Northern part of the state, um, such as, you know, the voting rights or the recreational marijuana. If you don't have support from at least a couple of people down South, then you're not going to be able to get those big things passed. Over the last year, as you've been reporting at the state house, is there anything that has surprised you about covering state politics or what have you learned about covering state politics in your year on the job? Hmm. Um, I think that one thing I didn't realize was there really is a lot of like behind the scenes stuff that ends up happening that you don't really notice in politics or you may think happens, but you don't really know how it happens. Like um, I will see on the agenda that I'm reporting on the next day that uh, say they're voting on a gun control bill. And then when I get there the next morning, they've pulled the bill and I don't really know why. And the only way I can find out is if I actually ask the lawmaker themselves. Um, and sometimes they just say like, oh, we needed more time to revise this or, oh, um, you know, I don't, sometimes they won't even give you a really good answer. So um, there's a lot of sort of secretive stuff that's happening behind the scenes and negotiations, and that's how you get bills passed, really, um, in state legislatures, really. Um, a lot of the time, a lawmaker won't even introduce a bill into the legislature unless they know they have the votes. Um, a specific example of that was the recreational marijuana bill that's been passing through our state legislature. Um, I've been reporting on that a lot because coming from Oregon, uh, growing up in Oregon, when we went through the marijuana referendum and legalizing recreational marijuana, and I even reported on it at my time at Jefferson Public Radio, I know a lot about the industry and I know a lot about it. So it was really exciting to come here and getting to report on, you know, recreational marijuana things and issues happening right here because I know a lot about it. So um, that specific bill, the representative had been passing it around between his constituents and between his uh, fellow lawmakers for at least a couple of months before it ended up actually getting filed and introduced into the legislature because he wanted to get feedback on what needs to be improved, make negotiations on like, if I'm going to get your support, what do I need in terms of this bill? Um, because he needs a lot of support in the House because it's a very controversial bill. Our governor doesn't support marijuana legalization. So you really need a lot of people, especially if you need to override his veto. So um, 
a lot of that stuff is happening behind the scenes before it even gets introduced. So often you can even trust that when a bill gets introduced, that it already has most of the votes it needs to get passed. So for you as a reporter, when it comes to that um, kind of behind the scenes political maneuvering, what was that adjustment like for you to pick up on how, how to dig things up like that and how to get people to talk and learn about what they're doing behind the scenes? Uh, what was that adjustment like for you learning how it's done? Yeah, it was really interesting to me because I've never really worked in a political uh, reporting job before. I'd never reported on anything political at all, really. Um, back at Jefferson Public Radio, we just did, uh, I just did a lot of stories based on Southern Oregon, and that didn't really cover Salem. So uh, a lot of it is a lot of networking and relationship building with the different lawmakers and especially the communications people for the different caucuses. Um, you learn to talk with them a lot and learning about what bills are important. Um, talking with lawmakers, even about their small bills sometimes is just an important way to kind of curry favor with them and build a relationship just to get a chance to talk with them. So that say when a more important bill comes down the line or a controversial bill comes down, you can you know, know that you can go to them and actually get something from them that's going to be important. Or they might tell you about something that happened. Um, one thing that I did was uh, the inauguration stuff that was happening at our state legislature, all of the senators were around the state zooming in to their first session to be inaugurated. Um, and so I was at one of the inaugurations because I wanted to talk to this person specifically in order to build a relationship with them because I knew they were going to do a lot of important things down the line. And so I was able to um, you know, know them personally and then figure out things that were going on, such as um, the state senator had introduced and created this LGBTQ caucus in the legislature with all of the LGBTQ members and a couple of allies to create um, legislation based on protecting people who are LGBTQ. And I found out about this by talking with them beforehand, and I was able to get an exclusive story that their communications person for the Senate didn't even know about until I wow. released the story. So building the relationships, I would say, is a really important thing in politics and especially state politics, because you're able to connect with those people a lot more. And I would say it's a lot easier in Delaware than in other places as well, just because there's not as many lawmakers to keep in touch with. So it's a lot easier to, you know, know everyone and Involved in everything that's going on. Roman, I want to offer you congratulations. It's been about a year since you moved across the country from Oregon to Delaware to start your job there and moving in the middle of a pandemic to get there. What was that experience like packing up everything and moving just about as far away from Oregon as you can get in this country? <laughs> yeah, that was certainly an experience I will never forget. Um, I had always said that I wanted to take a road trip across the country, but I did not imagine that it would happen during a pandemic. And during, probably we're in like the height of the pandemic back in like late May, early June of last year. So it was pretty crazy experience for me. Um, it was also the first time I had ever like lived outside of Oregon. So packing up all of your stuff, um, I got in a giant Penske truck with my dad and, you know, we drove all the way across the country. Um, I think it was, it was a really cool experience for me just to kind of, you know, get a taste of what the rest of the country is like, honestly, because I've never really like done that other than flying to 
other places, you know, flying to the East Coast or whatever. And you really got to see how large this country is and how much there is to see. And um, we got to stop at a couple of different public radio stations along the way. Um, and while I was traveling there was at the same time that the protests were starting, the George Floyd protests last summer. So that was also a really just eye-opening experience, you know, waking up one morning and then realizing, oh, we need to skip, you know, going through this city because there's a protest on the highway and they're blocking the streets. So we needed to, you know, figure out alternative ways to go and just kind of seeing what was going on in the different communities based around those protests that were happening um, about the racial injustice. Um, it was just, you know, a lot of experiences, a lot of stuff. I got to see a lot of things. I went and saw Mount Rushmore and Crazy Horse and all of those cool sites and stuff. So that was really cool. And now I'm here on the East Coast living here for the first time, which is very, very different than Oregon, a lot more different than I even thought it would be. Yeah, I was going to ask, what has been the adjustment between living in Delaware compared to living in Oregon? I would say the biggest part is obviously the weather. Um, it's very, very different here. It's very hot and humid in the summer compared to bone dry in Oregon. Um, they, it's it's almost I would say opposites. Um, whereas you know the east the west coast deals with a lot of wildfires here on the east coast. We deal with a lot of storms in the summer, um, hurricanes, tropical storms, things like that. Um, so that's been really interesting to me just to see a lot of rain in the summer when I'm not used to it. Um, another thing I would just say is you know. I mean, the general culture around things, um, uh, the way people act and the way, you know, they're, you know, the way they talk and the way they treat you. Um, uh, I also noticed in Delaware living here, I think one thing is one thing living in Oregon that you don't really notice while you're living there is how uh, homogenous things are and how not diverse things are. Um, Delaware is a lot more diverse of a state. Um, the population, you know, ethnicities are a lot more diverse. There's a lot more people who are African-American um, of other different races here. And so there's just a lot of different um, cultures here than there are in Oregon where, you know, there's been a history of racism and, you know, black exclusion laws and things like that that have kind of kept the population um, wider, honestly. Um, and so really living here in a more diverse place, I've learned a lot more about different cultures and learning to um, how to talk with those cultures and how to, you know, build relationships with the different groups that we have here compared to what I've reported on in the past in Oregon. Yeah. So obviously you mentioned that, you know, Oregon with its history of, you know, white supremacy and its founding uh, and, and very kind of a homogenous culture uh, in so much of Oregon. And now to be in Delaware with a much more diverse population, have you found that it has helped your reporting, uh, being able to talk to more people and be able to tell a more variety of stories? I, I would say that it has. Um, I think it's been really helpful to be in a more diverse community because I've been able to, you know, find more of those diverse sources nearby. Um, whereas in Oregon, I think you really need to work hard to find those in a lot of places, especially where I worked at my internship in Jefferson Public Radio in Southern Oregon. There's not a lot of diversity there. So um, here it's a little bit easier to do that. And you're also able to learn more about what issues are going on in those communities. So, um, here we have, uh, after the racial protests last year, the lawmakers formed the Legislative Black Caucus um, and introduced these task force to analyze um, police reform efforts and, you know, uh, 
African-American issues, and I was able to learn a lot more about what's affecting the communities there and what's actually being done here to change, you know, the police culture and the communities and stuff um, to figure out what really we need to be reporting on. And so we're working on different stories right now, longer form stories with my coworker about, you know, police reform and police misconduct and stuff that are really issues that affect a lot of people here in Delaware and that are really important to them. So it's a lot easier, I would say, just to find those issues in the first place. So it's been about a year you've been living in Delaware. Is there anything from Oregon, now that it's been a year, that you found that you just miss? Is there is there a food place? Is there uh, something about Oregon that you think, man, I wish I could just go around the corner and grab this or something? Anything like that? Oh my gosh, so much stuff. I miss <laughs> Oregon so much. I, I especially miss Portland. I would say my the thing I miss the most... Um, living in Dover specifically is I just miss the food. Dover does not have great food options. And <laughs> I would say that Delaware as a whole does not have great uh, restaurant selections compared to even just the city of Portland, where there's so much food and there's so much diversity of different types of cuisines and stuff. Um, you're able to just go right down the street and find a really good Thai food place. And there's nowhere here in Dover that I can find that's really good. Or every Asian restaurant in the entire city is like a combination Chinese, Japanese, Thai food, Vietnamese place. And like, they're all kind of subpar. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of, that's what I've missed a lot is there's not a lot of good food here. And I would like a lot better food um, only found like a really good indian food place and that's the only place in the whole city what are you craving roman i'll, I'll, I'll pack it up and ship it over to you Ooh, ooh! i would say that i would miss i miss like a really good pizza um i've i've learned that portland is like the pizza capital of the west coast just like new york is the pizza capital of the east coast and <laughs> delaware is not either of those so i have not really found a really good pizza here and i would love like a good pizza from a local restaurant in portland there's this one place called escape from new york that's really really good and i recommend it but they have really good pizza and there's a lot of other good places too so i would definitely love that okay i can't guarantee it's going to be warm but uh, <laughs> it will be shipped to you uh, so uh, watch your watch your mailbox i'm very excited <laughs> Uh, Roman, uh, at uh, Delaware Public Radio, uh, you're reporting there as part of Report for America. Uh, talk to us a little bit about what is Report for America and uh, how, how has it placed you where you are? Yeah, so Report for America is this fellowship program. It started, um, I forget how long ago, it's not really been here for that long, only maybe I think five or six years, um, where they the goal of the program is to bring more journalists back into local newsrooms and bring more local local reporting into you know our communities um, that don't have as much reporters. So, a lot of the places where people get placed are in you know rural areas or at rural newsrooms where there's not a lot of um, reporting on say healthcare issues or indigenous affairs or. Um, a lot of state house reporting like I'm doing. So they kind of figure out the newsrooms will apply for a position um, and say, hey, well, we don't have a lot of rural healthcare coverage from our newsroom or other newsrooms nearby. We need a healthcare reporter. So they will put that out. Um, and then the year I was hired, they hired, uh, I believe, 250 reporters across the whole country, as well as Puerto Rico, um, to cover different newsrooms. And so I applied to the program, basically, and 
just said like I wanted to be in public radio pretty much and then um, a whole you know group of a board kind of determined where to place you and which newsrooms would be best fitting for you um, luckily I had someone I knew on the board so it was actually really helpful to get them to know exactly what my personality type was and like how I worked and stuff and where I would best be placed um, and so then I had the opportunity to interview at three different newsrooms one of which was Delaware Public Media so I interviewed here and then I ended up getting the job here and that's why I ended up picking here to go um, and so a lot of what I do is trying to report on things at Delaware Public Media that don't get covered as much in the past and so um, when I'm not reporting on state legislature activities I do a lot of reporting in the southern part of the state so central Delaware and southern Delaware we don't do as much reporting on because the only people who report on things there are our hosts for morning edition and all things considered and they don't really have the time to drive to a city council meeting or go to a press event down in southern Delaware because they have to get back to the news station so I'm the one who kind of drives to those press events I'm the one who attends all the city council meetings and you know figures out what's the important things that are going on in the communities in southern delaware that are um, not covered as much by other news outlets or by our news outlet and so uh, there's you know 300 other reporters just like me all around the country that are doing the same thing and every year they're hiring you know more and more people and the whole point of it is that uh, report for america pays for part of my salary and then my newsroom pays for the other part so they're able to save on costs while hiring a new full-time local reporter to help bolster the coverage and improve local reporting because that's really what we need right now is a lot more local reporters absolutely 100 percent worthwhile cause roman have you had the experience yet because you mentioned covering those city council meetings have you had the experience yet of needing to cover a city council meeting in the southern part of the state Knowing you've got that deadline, you've got to get back to the station and, and, and meet your deadline to get on the air. And they, the item that you're there to cover has been buried near the end of the city council meeting. Have you had that experience yet of, of looking at your watch and going, okay, let's get to this. <laughs> that happens literally every single time. Every <laughs> single city council meeting, that always, always happens. Um, they always like to bury the lead and put the most important thing last. Even in like the state legislature, they do that exact same thing. Last week, I was reporting, I came into the Senate, the House of Representatives session to report on the $15 an hour minimum wage. That was the second to last bill that they ended up bringing up after 18 other bills. Ooh. So they always bring it up last. I don't even know why they do it. I think it's because they want us to stay there for the other four hours. Um, but yeah, city council meetings, always they always do that. Luckily, um, because of the pandemic and just you know because of increasing use of technology, most of these city council meetings are online. So uh, I've never actually been to a city council meeting so far in person yet. I just listen to all of them online. Um, because it's a lot easier for me um, to just tune in from home without having to drive an hour south. Um, and if there turns out not to be anything important, I don't have to have wasted a trip there. Um, and so that's been a really benefit for me. Um, and also, luckily, with deadlines, uh, usually my deadlines are pretty flexible. And we have enough reporters that we can cover, you know, one uh show without needing my specific story so i can just file it for you know the next day um which is 
you know, pretty lucky. Um, and usually we kind of know based on when that happens, because uh, a story, the city council meeting will be at seven o'clock at night and deadline for the day is at four o'clock. So I know that that story is going to be published the next day. Well, that's good. And we're using Zoom now to hold those uh, city councils accountable. They can't bury those stories at the end and, and think that reporters are going to leave before the before the meat comes out. So Exactly. Keep, I am sitting there the entire time recording that whole meeting. Keep doing the good work, Roman. <laughs> let's, uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, Roman's time at KBVR and uh, his journey over to public radio. We'll be back in just a second. And we're back. We're talking with Roman Battaglia of Delaware Public Media. I want to apologize because I kept calling it Delaware Public Radio earlier in the podcast. So sorry about that. Everyone uh, gets confused. Uh, you know what? I, I will do better. I'll do better in the future. <laughs> uh, Roman, I want to talk a little bit about your time with KBVR here at Oregon State. You were the station manager at KBVR. Before that, you were the podcast director. And I've got a, a quick story I want to tell. And it's Really interesting with the position you're in now, because it involves a lot of radio and a lot of writing. Uh, when you were going into your senior year, you had applied to be the station manager at KBVR. You had also applied to be the Beaver's Digest editor-in-chief of Student Lifestyle Magazine, and you'd had experience with radio and writing. And I remember thinking at the time, and this is very selfish of me, but I remember thinking, I want him for radio. I know he'd be good at Beaver's Digest. He'd be great at it, but I want him in that radio position. He'd be perfect for it. And so during that whole night when they were selecting the leaders, I had my fingers crossed, going, radio, radio, pick him for radio. And then it happened. And I feel like I made a deal with the devil or something. Uh, but I'm so glad you were in that position uh, and because you've got amazing skills for both radio and writing. Um, and so I'm very happy to see where you are now. But uh, I'm really glad that we got a chance to work together on the radio side. I'm glad too. Uh, it did help that I was the only person that applied for KBVR, and there were two people who applied for Beaver's Digest editor. So but it was that no was guarantee. a little benefit. It was no there was guarantee. No guarantee. You never know. Uh, I think that year a TV station manager was not picked. So you never know. Something can always change. <laughs> Roman, what got you into KBVR to begin with? How'd you find out about the station, and how'd you get involved? Honestly, I wish I had gotten involved earlier. I had found out about K. Well, I, I found out about Orange Media Network when I did a. Uh, I forget what they were called, but it was sort of like an internship thing um, for school for my uh, majored in digital communication arts. You would like take part in a media program at Orange Media Network, and then you'd get credits for that. So I got involved with Beaver's Digest initially. Um, so I would write pieces for them and, you know, do all that sort of stuff. And that was kind of like my start at Orange Media Networks was doing Beaver's Digest. Um, I learned a lot through there. And I think getting involved my sophomore year with them was how I learned about everything else that was going on. Um, all of the other cool things that were happening that I never even knew existed. And then that's when I decided to get involved in radio. Um, I think I signed up like spring or winter term sophomore year and um, 
did the training and um, at the same time I was doing the training for TV as well and you know getting involved there and kind of started to do things all over the place. Um, I remember like after my first year with Beaver's Digest when the awards came up I won uh, the jack of all trades or the face everyone should know by now because I was involved in you know <laughs> TV and radio and Beaver's Digest and all of that stuff and so there's a lot of things I ended up getting involved in and that's kind of how I figured out about it was um, through my time basically as a requirement for school to get a school credit. And then I learned about all the cool stuff after that. What were some of your uh, favorite moments from your time uh, at Orange Media Network? Because as you said, you did TV, you did Beaver's Digest, you did radio. Uh, which of those things and some, what are some of those moments that really jump out at you the most when you think back on your time? Uh, well, radio will always hold a spot in my heart. Radio is always where I had the best moments. Um, I think being the station manager was just such a great experience. And I learned so much about like, you know, working and managing people and just like how a radio station works. And um, there were just so many events that we did that were great. Like um, I judged the DJ competition that they did um, down in the SEC Plaza. Um, I like helped to organize better relationships with Dam Jams so that we could, you know, hold more events with them and do more stuff with them and, you know, created a better, you know, podcasting program, how create an award-winning podcast making waves. And so doing a lot of like really fun creative things and getting to create new things was really great and I think just in general like being involved with the radio station doing radio shows and you know getting to play music that you really enjoy and like building relationships with all of the DJs was really great for me I really enjoyed like you know becoming friends with a lot of these people and just sharing our love of music and you know sharing our love for KPVR FM. And there's a really a special bond, you know, with DJs I've noticed over the years, uh, especially those that do shows together. You know, you're in that booth together. Uh, you're there multiple times a week in some cases and, and just kind of talking. Sometimes it's late at night. What do you remember about the bonds between you and your fellow DJs? Uh, well, the last show that I hosted was called Chemical X, and it was a Powerpuff Girls theme show. <laughs> I was DJ Bubbles, and we had DJ Blossom and DJ Buttercup, and that was a really, really great show. Um, being, you know, being with other DJs, I would say, is like a really great experience. And if you enjoy people at all, doing a one co-hosted show is a great experience. Um, I remember finding out, finding my first co-host through like a um, speed dating uh, session that Donald Orr held, where, you know, he just brought pizza upstairs and then we all like had pizza and, you know, just like met with each other. And like, if we liked each other, we just like did a show. So I found someone um, and then we did, did a show together for basically the rest of my time at KBVR. And so those were really great. You just get to talk with people and you get to learn more about them. And you also just get to talk with, you know, your fellow DJs that are coming in and out of the booth. Um, you know, at the end of your hour, you're talking with that next DJ and you kind of, you know, build all those relationships, which is always really fun. And it's just a great bonding experience because you all are doing that. You're all doing this because you really enjoy music and you really enjoy, you know, being a DJ. A few moments ago, you mentioned Making Waves, the podcast uh, that you had helped start with students from the Asian and Pacific Cultural Center a few years ago. That podcast is still going today, and it's planning to continue uh, into next year as well. What is it like to see something that you had a hand in helping start still continuing a few years later and having that legacy continue even after you've gone on to do to do different things? 
I love it. I uh, making waves was a really great experience for me. Um, it really helped to you know learn more about how to build a podcast from scratch because we really only had like an idea of something we had like one person who was like oh people at the asian asian and pacific cultural center are interested in making a podcast so we just had a meeting with me and the podcast director and the people who are interested and you know we just decided to create this and we really had no idea where it was going um and then we ended up having to set up all the stuff and you know create this podcast and figure out how to get them more involved in things because they didn't really have a lot of experience with podcasting um so I would say that that was a really good experience for me just to kind of like learn the basics of how it all works. And, you know, obviously it ended up winning an award at the College Media Association. Um, so that was just, I think, you know, a really great experience. And I think I'm so glad to see it continue because that was one of my concerns. When I had talked with them initially, we were like, you guys are both seniors, the people who wanted to create the podcast. How are we going to continue it? And they're like, oh, we'll find someone. And I'm like, I don't know if I trust you. I don't know if you're going to be able to find someone. So luckily they were able to. And, you know, I'm glad and they did. Been able Two to years running. Yeah, it's great. It's great to have a, another regular show. Um, because that's always one of the things with KBVR is a lot of the time you have podcasts that people are interested in making and then they don't really coalesce and stay around forever because um, people, you know, leave college and they don't find someone to take their place. So it's, I think that's a really important thing. And that's one thing I was trying to do as station manager was try to build more of those, you know, permanent podcasts to stick around. So at least one of them stuck. You've, you've been involved with a few podcasts as well. Uh, what do listeners need to know about the behind the scenes of a podcast. There's a lot of work that goes into making one. What don't listeners know about what goes into making a podcast? It depends on the podcast, but <laughs> uh, the podcast that I helped create called The Dish, which was a podcast with Beaver's Digest, where it was honestly, when we first created it, it was very random. It was basically just the two hosts kind of talking about what was on their minds and talking about pop culture stuff. And there is a lot of editing that goes into a podcast like that. Um, if your hosts are not like used to the podcasting world and not used to being good hosts, uh, you will put in twice or three times as much time into editing the podcast as you do making it and recording it. So that's always one thing that I remember was the amount of time I would spend editing podcasts to just you know make them better um, and make them sound good because. I was trying to you know, correct the mistakes of the hosts. And that gets better over time, I would say, is that eventually they would kind of get better and they'd know um, they would make less mistakes and they would know, you know, like, you know, we're not supposed to be saying swear words or things like that. Um, and so they would learn how to be better hosts and stuff. And we kind of work on that. But um, that's always a really big thing is the production behind it is just so massive and trying to promote it and trying to edit it and trying to do the graphics for it and the social media and just like a, so much stuff is happening behind the scenes that you don't really see um, in that finished product that you you know download on your podcast app. And I found that there's also when you're making a podcast, the temptation to over edit, especially early on when you're making a podcast for the first time, you want to go in and make cuts and edits and trim out all the ums and uhs and things like that that temptation is really strong to want to go in and make all those edits oh i 
I remember every single time you would tell me not to over edit things. <laughs> That's you not where I was going with this, but yeah. You, 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 every time, every time it happened, you would be like, Roman, you're over editing your podcast. You don't need to cut out all of the ums and ahs. And I'm like, okay, I get it. I shouldn't do that. And I ended up not doing it anymore. And the podcast <laughs> sounded way better. And it was so much easier to edit because it just sounds so much more natural. You're getting, you know, the way people are actually speaking in there. Um, it, and one thing that's interesting to me is just like how I had to switch from, you know, not cutting out the ums and ahs to cutting them out again, working in public radio, because you don't want them to, ha you don't want to have all of those filler words in a quote that you're putting into a story because my stories have to be like under a minute long and the quotes themselves have to be like under 15 seconds. So you really have to like are cut for time in public radio world. And so you're actually going back to cutting those out again, even even though they may make the you know quote sound more natural because you're just trying to save on time. But that's right, because when you're doing a podcast, you might be going for 45 minutes or an hour, but you have those very tight time restrictions because you're either editing a story or you're editing a segment of another show where maybe one soundbite is just going into a newscast. And so what was that adjustment like going back to very tight editing uh, from from where you had been? It was, it was a lot. It was really, um, it was just interesting to me to, to see the change in like how I did things because um, the podcasting world, there's still podcasting in public radio and podcasting in public radio is basically edited the same as it is, you know, at OMN. So um, it's, it's just changing from podcasting to news is just such a big change. I had to get used to, you know, cutting things a lot more and being more careful about like how I speak and even how fast I speak, because if I spoke too fast, you wouldn't be able to understand what I'm saying. But if I spoke too slow, then I wouldn't be able to meet the time requirements. Um, if I'm, say, pitching and filing a story to NPR National, um, their stories are a maximum of 40 seconds long. And so your quote can only be less than 10 seconds. And you really have like no time at all for a concise story that actually captures everything and it's really really difficult to write those kinds of stories so um, that's like a lot of work that I think people don't realize is like um, how how can I get all of this important information into like a tiny amount of writing because I don't write a lot but how much I like what I write is the really important part it's making sure that it sounds really concise it gets to the point and that you know you can understand it the first time around because you don't get a chance to listen to a story again when you're in your car on the radio I really relate to that uh, especially the part you mentioned about talking too quickly on the mic uh, that's something I've struggled with for years. I listen back to things I record and I feel like I'm going 100 miles an hour. How do you practice that now that you're a professional reporter? When you receive that feedback, how do you incorporate it and then apply it to your next stories? It's it's really difficult and it takes a lot of work to do that because it's not a it's not a conscious thing you do when you talk normally. You're not usually noticing how quickly you're speaking or how you're enunciating your words. Um, I would say that the my internship that I did at Jefferson Public Radio with the Charles Snowden Program um, for Excellence in Journalism was really, really helpful because my editor was really good at training and you know supporting me through my first time in public radio. Um, he was really good at like, 
every time I had a story, we would go into this recording room and we would listen back to the piece and he would be like oh you need to make sure you enunciate this word or oh you need to make sure that you're speaking a little slower here and or like oh we can cut out a little bit of the empty space between you know the end of this sentence and like before you take your breath for your next sentence so i really learned like all of the ins and outs of like how to edit the story to cut out as much blank space as i can and also just like how to enunciate my words better and make them sound clear um a trick that we use in public radio is when you are you know writing your script and then you go to read it you're underline all of the words that you need to enunciate or like the words that are supposed to have the emphasis on them um, and then that way you know while you're reading the story oh i need to put the emphasis emphasis on this word um, and not you know this word so it really that's there's kind of tricks that you take to you know learn how to be better at like sounding really clear and i would say it's more important to you know enunciate your words and make sure you're understood than to make sure that you're sounding that you're speaking at the right pace because as long as people can understand what you're saying um, it doesn't matter as much how quick or slow you're speaking that's a good point i imagine the more you listen to yourself as well the more you just pick on the pick up on those things as well yeah, you also like just develop your own, um, you know, radio voice. And often the trick, the thing we always say to new journalists when I was at KBVR was like, don't have a radio voice, you know, don't listen to what they're saying on commercial radio or public radio, just like speak naturally. <laughs> um, because a lot of the time new DJs will come on and they'll think they have to be like, you're listening to KBVR Corvallis. Like they have to sound really like a radio reporter, but like, that's not what you want to sound like. Um, and it's, it's different for public radio, but it's sort of the same. The way we say it is like, you want to sound natural, but you also need to sound clear and enunciate things. So it's really difficult because you just have to like sound like you're talking to someone at a coffee shop and, you know, being natural, but also they need to understand every word you're saying, because if they don't, they're going to get really angry because they couldn't hear what you're saying on yeah. the radio. And it might sound a little bit different from your normal speaking voice, but it can't be so far where you're sounding like 40s reporter at that point. Hey there, this is Delaware Public Media. You're tuning in. Yeah, and I actually know some coworkers and some other reporters that I've worked with in the past that have that sort of like, you know, 1940s reporter voice. And <laughs> Newsflash. It's, it's, they almost sound exactly like that. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> we need to like work on being, you know, better at speaking here. Um, but it's, it's, you kind of learn as you go along and then you kind of switch into that voice when you start recording and you get better at like making it sound like your normal voice, but also making sure you're working closely on saying every word specifically and with intention. Absolutely. And Roman, I think you are sounding great on all of your stories uh, and your reports. Uh, and the quality of your journalism is so good. I'm really proud of seeing the amazing work that you're doing there in Delaware and holding those state lawmakers accountable. Uh, and I really want to thank you for coming on to the OMN Alumni Podcast today. If folks want to follow your work, uh, where can they follow you on social media? Um, they can find me on Twitter at Roman Bat. That's Bat with two T's. Um, or on DelawarePublic.org. That's where all my stories are posted. Fantastic. Go check out Roman's work. Uh, you're doing great stuff, Roman. Thank you again. Uh, have a good one, and it's great to hear from you. Thank you. You too. And if you'd like to learn more about Orange Media Network, go to orangemedianetwork.com. Thanks so much for listening to the OMN Alumni Podcast. I'm Stephen Sandberg. We'll see you next time.